and to break through in ways you've never seen before. I'm not talking about just hitting the lottery. I'm talking about a blessing on your job. I'm talking about promotions and raises. Can we pray for that right now? Because that's going to be a part of the message. Father, I lift up to you every person, God, that is believing for financial increase this year. Lord, our economy has not done well as it should have done. Lord, we know that's because of corruption, political, uh, just the, the, the deception in the political sphere. Lord, we pray for a breakthrough among the rich, the wealthy, and the political so that the working man and woman will have more than enough bread, more than enough eggs, that the gas prices will come down, and that our nation will be blessed, oh God. We'll, we'll lend and not borrow as much as we are anymore, God. And all of our industries will increase with healthy competition and innovation, and that, Lord, we will be faithful stewards of that which you give us so that it can continue to increase, whether it's in our 401ks, investing, entrepreneurship, starting businesses, Lord. May we be successful in all that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's bless the Lord for some innovation here. Come on. You may be seated. I was talking to the staff and leadership, if we could put up that picture, uh, please, yesterday as we had our annual gathering. Can we give it up for the elders and the leaders of Metro Praise? They're the ones who serve you and love you. The deacons are awesome. We love them, and uh, they had their own celebration, but this is for the different uh, elders that we have in our church, and for those of you who may not be familiar with our leadership style, we have apostolic elders. That would be my wife and I. We consider that to be the church planters, those who started the church, like the apostles were sent out and started the ministries. We then have pastoral elders, like Lauren and others that you see that pastor and continue to shepherd the flock. Then we have governing elders, those that are in the congregation, and they serve and give insight to marriage and family. And then lastly, we have pastoral interns who want to do some of those things but are in the process of being trained. And we have that all on the website if I went too fast there for you. But just basically everybody say elders. The Bible calls them elders. And if you think of that word, you know, it's been used in many cultures. It just means somebody older. Elder is somebody older. Also, the word bishop means overseer. So an elder is an overseer. And as you can see, their wonderful families are there. So Keep them in prayer as uh, the years go on as we believe God to bless their lives as well. Many ministries are represented there. And what I was sharing with them is what I'm going to be sharing with you today, and that is you have to believe God for things you do not see to come to pass before they come to pass. I mean, that's just part of life, amen? I mean, no one starts a college uh, you know, class without believing they're going to pass it and then get a good degree and then get a job and then go out and do what they're supposed to do. I mean, this is life, and no one starts a sport team without believing that they're going to go to practice to, to win a game, to win a championship. How many can say faith? Come on, faith. But when it comes to the Bible, oftentimes we're confused with it. So I want to get into it today, and I just wanted to encourage you to pray for them. So open up your Bibles with me to James chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, thank you for your prayers as I hobble along here. Just to, Hopefully this will be my last update for a while with my leg here. Injured it uh, playing basketball. My brother has injured both of them. Don't mean to call you out, but he was encouraging me, and that felt well uh, to, to know I'm not the only one. So I went the surgical route, and uh, as I told you guys last week, they said, well, we'll give you a nerve blocker, and then at some point that nerve 
nerve block will go away and you'll feel the pain. And uh, guess what? I started feeling the pain Saturday night, Sunday morning on my way here. So I took a little bit of pain medicine. But thank you for your prayers because that's all I needed was that one day. And I'm glad that I was here with you. Uh, you helped ease the pain. Amen? Amen. You helped ease the pain. And then thankfully after that, there's been no pain. And then after the week checkup, he said, hey, uh, you can put pressure on it. You don't need the crutches anymore, which is part of the rehab now, which is a cutting edge thing. They say mobilization and early mobilization with the foot pointed down. So in this, it feels like I'm wearing high heels. My foot is actually pointed down there. Uh, it's, it's just getting mobilized. So keep me in your prayers. Eight weeks in the boot. After that, they just say uh, three months before you can really go back to normal life. And then after that, another three months, six months altogether before you can do the things that you like to do, like for me, snowboarding and wakeboarding and all that. But how many know God can do something that no one can predict? Amen. God can do a miracle. And if I have to stick through the normal process, it is what it is. I'm thankful. And uh, some of you know that right before this, I was in a car accident where the car who ran into me on the highway got totaled. And to thank God that nothing happened to either one of us, I was thankful just to be alive that day. Okay? So if this is, if this is my test right here, I'll give you a testimony. God is still good. And for those of you who are going through more severe tests, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, whether it's cancer or, or illnesses that scare you and they seem very intimidating, listen to me. The same God that is with us in a headache is the same God that's with us in leukemia, and he's the same God that's with us through all of our problems. Amen? So he doesn't get, he doesn't get afraid when we put the big C word at the prayer table and say, Lord, I'm asking for cancer to be. He's not afraid because we've got people in here that have gone through cancer with faith. Amen? And some have seen actually some miracles during those times as well. And I, I'm reminded of uh, Cynthia. She's one of those leaders there. If we could maybe just put back that picture. As I was telling her what I had to be on just uh, for that day when I was feeling the pain. It was uh, Trebidol. And uh, Cynthia is uh, right over there uh, standing between Griselda and uh, our, our sister Cielo right there. And uh, she said, I have to take that every day because I have lupus. Let's just pray for her as I just brought that to my mind. So there's people going through some real hard times in life. And so here, little old me, I have to take some pain medicine one day. She said, oh, I take that every day just so that the pain of the lupus is tolerable. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus for lupus to go by your powerful name, by the blood that you shed on that cross, that she'll be healed. And Lord, as we think of her and others, God, that you would heal them, that you would do a miracle. And in the midst of the miracle, the treatment, the wisdom of the doctors, God, will come with your strength and your power to the inner soul, oh God, so that they won't get discouraged. They'll stay encouraged as they live their life for you, God, because we're just pilgrims passing through, as the old timers used to say, on our way home, oh God. And we're going to keep our faith and trust in you all along the way, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, I'm reminded of that story of uh, the missionary who was waiting for his dad to come pick him up. And uh, the missionaries still to this day when they, uh, the, you know, they go to these dangerous countries, they have to drop off their children at boarding schools in safer nations. And so this young man's parents were in a dangerous nation that the children couldn't be there. And uh, oftentimes we see our Christian brothers and sisters in those places living undercover lives, uh, living as a Muslim but not a Muslim. In other words, they grow out the beards, women wear the hijabs, uh, they greet you with assalamu alaikum. Uh, they're not hypocrites in any way. They're not deceptive, but they're just living undercover in that area so that they can work at the grocery store so they can meet the people and spread the gospel, okay? That's why we have to pray for those in the underground church. But, uh, you know, he's there waiting for his mom and dad to come pick him up from the boarding school. Imagine this. You're a young child. You're in a, a country that's not your own, and you know that your parents are always in a place that's unsafe, and you're waiting now for them to pick you up, you know, for the summer break to spend time with them in those times with the missionaries. They would take the 
their furloughs back to the United States or to Europe and raise their money so they can go back. And he said that he was just waiting there and waiting, and he's just looking at the road, you know, all that dirt road there in that country, just waiting and waiting and waiting. And then all of a sudden, he could see his dad's truck. And then once he saw that truck, he knew that dad was taking him to the best place to be with him. And he said, that's what heaven's like. We're just right now, we're just waiting for Jesus to come back. We're standing here being faithful. We don't know how long it's going to be. We're telling our friends, he's coming, he's coming. I'm telling you, my dad is coming. How many can believe that today? And it doesn't matter what's going on. They're still coming. Uh, Just like the parents are coming, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit are coming. God is coming. Can I hear an amen? So uh, I just am so reminded of that. Even just another little thing, I was watching Israel uh, fighting, almost like a video game, man, because there's so much, uh, uh, you know, media and, and propaganda against Israel right now that Israel literally has to record their battles to show them what's, you know, show the people what's going on. And uh, you're sitting and watching it with the, with the body cam, and, and you're watching, you know, death, and you're watching this happen. And I'm thinking to myself, brothers and sisters, we are watching the end times play out right in front of us. We are watching the nation of Israel defend itself against its enemies. I mean, haven't you read about David and Goliath? Haven't you read those stories before? You're watching it right now on live TV. And the Bible said we would have satellite TV in the sense that we would all be able to see at one time what is going on. The time is short. Jesus is coming back. How many are ready for that trumpet to sound? They're going to be saying, oh, no, oh, no. And I'm saying, oh, yes, oh, yes. Oh, praise God. Let's get into this. James chapter 4, verse 1. Well, you know what? Put up the slide here for me, please, first. Let's go with this slide. I want everybody to say this with me as we uh, put up the slide here. One, two, three. You have not because you ask not. You ask not because you believe not. You believe not because you know not. Amen. I want to encourage you with this to the opposite of that, and you're going to know why I'm using the negative there, because that's actually found in James uh, chapter 4, verse 1. But we're going to do the opposite. We're going to know, we're going to believe, and we're going to ask. Amen? I'm going to say it again. We're going to know. We're going to know the Word of God. We're going to know what it says. We're going to hold on to the promises. We're going to believe those promises. Even if we have to wait like that missionary son, we're going to believe Dad is coming. We're going to believe the promises are coming no matter what tests and trials we go through. And then we're going to keep asking. And we're going to keep knocking. And we're going to keep seeking. Doesn't that sound like something Jesus said before? You know, if you knock, the door is open. If you ask, you shall receive. If you seek, you shall find. That's Jesus. And let me just say this right here because I know we live in a world oftentimes of sassy people and they want to say, well, I asked for that and God never did it. It must not have worked. And they don't understand how this actually works in the big picture. Jesus is not our genie. So we're not looking for Jesus to do it our way right away like Burger King. How many know Jesus is a king but he's not a Burger King? He's the king of kings. So last time I checked, it's his calendar, it's his schedule. And the Bible says he works out all things for the good of his people. So some of us may have to go through some bumps in the road along the way to see a miracle come to pass. But he, listen, commanded us to do this. So in other words, if he gets glory out of me asking him for healing, even though I'm still doing the boot and I'm still doing all that, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep asking God to take this boot off today and dance in Jesus' name. 
Now, if, the, if you don't want to do that and you say you're in a similar situation with me and you just want to keep on the boot and, 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 and play nice with the doctors, and that's what we're supposed to, and I agree with that, and you don't want to believe for a miracle, that's up to you because God made your body to heal and to be restored that way. But here's the way I look at it. I build my faith every time I ask for the miracle. I'm building my faith because I'm saying I know that this world is not controlled by the natural forces. The natural forces aren't controlled by the thus says the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If God could create the heavens and the earth, he can make that tendon come together right now like that. God can heal cancer just like that. And so if it doesn't happen, I'm not going to stop asking. I'm going to keep on, keep on asking. So you've got to decide that for yourself. I'm just being honest because sometimes people say, well, you know, maybe we don't see miracles uh, like they do in the third world countries or developing nations is maybe the more proper way to say that. And, uh, you know, we, we don't see that because we're not as desperate. And there's a truth to that. But listen, the desperation is not something that God has up in heaven like a desperation meter. Like, well, if you're really, really, really desperate, then you'll see a miracle. But if you're not desperate, then you're not going to see one. No, God does not respond to desperation. He responds to faith. Faith is that which bridges what we have not to what he has. Faith is what bridges our empty hand to his hand full of blessing. So God is not looking for us to beg and plead, tell him the sob story, though he wipes every tear from our eyes. How many believe God is close to the brokenhearted? Amen. He can take our pity patty party, but he wants us to turn it into a praise party. Come on. So yes, he'll be there in those times, but he's not looking for those who are the most pitiful. He's not looking for those who can say, oh, me, oh, my, I got a tear in my beer and I'm missing my dear. He's not looking for that little sad country. So he's looking for somebody who stands on the word. He's looking for someone who says, I believe. He's looking for someone that says, I'll believe whether anything changes or not because I know you're the one that I have my hope in. I'm not putting my hope in the, the, just the tendons of my body. I'm not putting the hope in just the doctors. I'm putting my hope in Jesus. Can I hear an amen to that? And so I just want to be very honest with you that when people say, well, it's because of this or because of that, or it's, it's, it's because, you know, we're not desperate enough, or, or maybe, you know, if we had more poverty, we would be, want to see miracles. No, the reason why God may be moving in developing nations differently than he moves here is because they have faith. But we can have faith here to see God do things. In the 1950s, there was a healing revival that swept through this nation. You can read about these different revivalists throughout history and how God used them. Some of them were women. Some of them were men. They would start with tents, and they would go out and preach, and God would move. And he did the same thing in Argentina and different nations. He also did it in Africa. So it's happened here, and it's happened there. Why not happen again? How many know people need to be still healed of sickness in this nation? How many know people still need deliverance? So they could be uh, just as much of an opportunity to receive the miracle. But here's the problem. Most of them don't have faith anymore. Now, of course, I think desperation is something like that. A hunger for it will be important. But to me, it's not about how desperate we are. It's about whether or not we believe. Can I hear an amen to that? Look at James chapter 4, verse 1. James speaking to us here. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. And this kind of kill is a killing of anger towards those who have what you want. So James is saying here, what's going on on the inside of you? Don't you realize that you're seeking after your own lusts and desires, and when you don't see these things come to pass, you'll murder your brother with your words and in your heart? Because remember, Jesus said that to hate a brother is to murder a brother. How many remember that? So he's not talking about literally they're going out raping and pillaging and killing and so forth in that way. He's saying you desire 
desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet. That's how I know this is an internal battle. The killing is an internal hatred towards the brother who has it. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. So, so many people today don't have what they want, and then they blame the other person for it. And I'm not saying that there won't be uh, oppression or there won't be people that try to hold you back. There will always be haters. Can I hear an amen to that? But what he's saying here is if you look at every time in the Bible somebody tried to hate on somebody, the hate couldn't stop what God was doing. God's power was always greater than people's hate. People tried to hate on Daniel, but Daniel was blessed even when they threw him in a lion's den. They, they, they tried to take away Shadrach and Meshach's freedom by throwing them into the fire, but they were still blessed. The, the brothers of Joseph got jealous, threw him into a pit. He got working for Potiphar as a slave. He then was thrown into prison as the wife of Potiphar lied on him, but he came out of prison into Potiphar's house and ruled as a prince. Are you listening? Come on, somebody. So what we understand here is that, yeah, you may face oppression. You may face people on the job who don't want to see you succeed. Uh, We are in a nation right now that everybody wants to have money, and they'll celebrate everybody's win except for the Christian. They don't want Goya to be a conservative Christian business. They don't want a Hobby Lobby to be conservative. Are you listening to me? They'll celebrate everything else, but they won't celebrate your Christian upbringing. That's why they give Elon Musk such a hard time. And I don't agree with everything he says, but I love when he's sassy with them and he calls them out. Somebody was saying to him, they were interviewing him, well, now that you own Twitter and they call it X, aren't you upset that some of these advertisers don't want to advertise with you anymore? And the only thing that he's doing on Twitter is, is allowing people to express freedom of speech. And he says no, and he said some blankety blank words, but he said, no, I don't need them. I want people who want to celebrate freedom, not control of the media. Can I hear an amen to that? We need people who think like that in our nation without the vulgarity, obviously, because God will bless us no matter who's against us. And that's when you become uncancelable. They can't cancel you. And God wants to bless you in that way so that you're not jealous of what the other person has. I was showing the leadership the other day, the picture of where Amazon started. And and if you could put that up, uh, Andrew, where Amazon started, Amazon's first home office. It's Jeff Bezos in a little dingy old office room with a spray-painted sign on his wall. that you, It looks like he put it on a bed sheet, and it says Amazon.com. Floors all dirty and mangled up. You can tell nobody's really cleaning it. You can look around. There's a mess of stuff going on, and now that is the largest online company in the world. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do it because you don't have enough people believing in you. Yes, people believing in you will make the journey a lot easier on the soul, but you are not dependent upon anybody else to see something come to pass. And if you're a Christian, you have a Holy Ghost advantage. Can I hear somebody say a Holy Ghost advantage? Amen. That's where it all started right there. And the picture I'm thinking of has it more zoomed out. So find me the one that's more zoomed out. You can see the floor and the mess all around there because they had more important things to do than, I guess, vacuum. Are you listening to me? A guy who likes the vacuum really noticed that, just by the way. Anybody else like the vacuum? Nobody? I'm weird. Vacuuming and cutting the grass are some of the most therapeutic things you can do. Some of you are like, well, I just go out and build stuff with the hammer and all that. Okay, if you can, I can't build stuff. If you can build stuff, you're amazing. If you can cook, you're amazing. I can't do that. I'm kind of lame. So I'm reduced down to vacuuming and cutting the grass. But it's just something about vacuuming. You make a line, you turn back around, you make another line. 
You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like satisfied. Same thing with cutting the grass. You go down, you make a line, you come back and make another line. Well, I'm just saying that because I looked at that, and I'm just like, they were so busy and focused on doing what they felt they needed to do, they didn't stop and pay attention to the haters. They started off with that little business. And you can go through the story of, of, of Facebook. You go through the story of all these different companies and how they started with Elon Musk and all these others. Thank you for this one. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. How many know that could use a good vacuum in over there? Some stuff on the floor, some stuff on, was that a shoe over there? You know, that's a lonely old computer nerd right there, you know. But how many know that guy's banking right now? Brothers and sisters, the Bible says don't covet, don't kill, don't murder. Here's a way that you can understand that you're on your path to success when you can bless others who have it. I'm going to say that again because I must, I must have a lot of haters here or people didn't hear it. You can know that you're on your path to success when you start blessing those who already have it. You're no longer jealous of the man. You're no longer jealous of another culture. You're no longer jealous of another family on the block. Well, that family on the block, with well, those kids, they got to go to college and their dad gave them a car. Or this. No, you're no longer jealous. You're no longer coveting. You're celebrating. If you look at somebody on your block that has a little bit more than you, ask yourself why. Well, did they save more? Did they, did they have an opportunity that they took? A lot of many millionaires, they say the majority of them, you can learn this from Dave Ramsey, Christian financial planner, most millionaires today did not inherit their money. So thinking about success as in what I'm handed from my mommy and daddy is not the right way. There are people who have that, and they're going to have their own trials and tests. As many of the rich and famous, they lose their children to drug and alcohol addiction. And the reason is, is because those kinds of children grew up with everything, didn't appreciate what it took to have it, and they became ple pleasure machines. And when you're a pleasure-seeking machine, you don't get satisfied ever in life. And if you have a lot of money to spend on your pleasures, you'll blow it all and possibly your life up before you ever figure it out and turn away from it. So, so sometimes don't wish to be on the other side of that. You, you, know, you might wish to have been brought up like a Jordan or wish to be brought up like this one or wish to be brought up like that, but study the life of their children Oftentimes they have struggles that you know not of. So that's why we have to, if we are blessed, to teach our children to keep the blessing because the source of the blessing isn't the money or the dollar or the job or the inventive idea. It's God himself. And that's where we have a step above even those here. Can I hear an amen? But notice in James, you desire, verse 2, but you do not have so you kill. You hate on people. and You're a hater. You're a murderer of the heart. You covet because you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. Now, highlight this in the Scripture there on your Bible and your app. You do not have because you do not ask God. Well, that's a pretty strong rebuke, isn't it? Well, I thought I asked God about winning the million-dollar uh, million lottery, so why didn't that work? Well, you're going to, you're going to, we've got two parts to go after this first part, three-part sermon here. But listen, the first part where James points out to us right here why many people do not have what they think they should have is because they're not asking God for it. And if they do ask, notice what it says in verse 3, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures, you adulterous people. May God keep us from a tricking heart, amen, from a heart that is uh, uh, acting as the whore or the prostitute, as the Bible says. We need to keep our loyalties to God, and that's why the Bible says you can't serve two masters, and what are the two different masters, God or money? See, mammon is the number one competing thing for your heart. So this is important that we get this right, that we understand that God is setting us up for a system of blessing. He's putting us into his economy. There's a heavenly economy. How many believe that? Come on, y'all. Don't you, don't you read your Bible? 
They're running out of bread everywhere in the desert, but God says, hey, I got a, I got a store full of bread. I got the manna store. You all want some of that? Come on, how many want God's bread store? Starts bringing it out every morning. Then he teaches them how to do it. What does he say? Don't bring in for the next day except when you have to get ready for the Sabbath. And some people didn't listen to him. They said, oh, man, we got to make all these tortillas. We're going to make all this pizza. Let's get all the flour. Let's get all the bread here, you know. And they didn't listen. And the ones that they had brought in extra spoiled the next day. Somebody say God's economy. God was teaching them that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God was teaching man that you can't just rely on saving it all up and then expecting to take a little bit, take a little bit, take a little bit. You have to come every day to get fresh manna. Somebody say fresh manna. Amen. So I want you to think about this. When was the last time you asked God for the biggest things you're believing for right now? I'm talking about your raises. I'm talking about your promotions. I'm talking about your marriages. I'm talking about your kids. When was the last time you just dedicated time to pray to the Lord for those things? Because that's the first step. And then right after that is when you're asking, are you doing it right th- with the right motives? If you're dreaming about winning the lottery, are you dreaming about giving that tithe? Come on, somebody. I mean, I have lottery dreams too, but what's my first part of that lottery dream? Man, I'm giving a $100 million tithe. If I just won a billion dollars, what do I tithe? Come on, man. What is a tenth of a billion, y'all? $100 million. Well, if I've, given, if I've given 10 cents off a dollar, I better give $100 million off a billion. Are you listening to me? Win 100 million? What's that tithe? 10 million? Come on, somebody. Y'all got to dream big with me now. 50,000. Let's go back down there. What's the tithe off 50,000? 5,000. There you go. 10,000. I'm going to tell you some stories here today that are going to bless you, but you got to be willing to understand this is not just for the preacher. This is not just from that so-and-so person I'm going to mention here in a little bit that came from a different place or you didn't know. This is for everybody, but these stories are going to encourage you today. You have not because you ask not. We're starting our church, 2005, around March. My wife and I live in on Pulaski and Addison, three-story high-rise, two-bedroom, about $800 a month. God told me to build the church and to focus my energy on that as my wife goes out to find a job to supply the everyday needs. She gets, the, gets hired at a bank, Parkway Bank. My family feels sorry for us, says, we'll start paying your rent, and my dad gives me a car, so now we have land yet. Somebody say blessed. Now, somebody may not have had a father like that, but my dad's a good dad. Parents are good parents. They love the Lord. They've been tithers and givers. And, and no coincidence that the first service I'm talking about, this man was in. Let's give it up for David Montez. How did this just happen? As God as my witness... Did I not start testifying about Pulaski and Addison? How many know I didn't see him? How many know I did not see him? Come on, Jessica. She was there too. I did not see him. And he walks in while I tell the test. This is the reason right here. I'm having video game night in my house as I'm resigned from being a youth pastor, praying about what to do, this young man was not good at Halo because he does the real stuff. He's in the military. Let's give it up for David Montez serving in the military. I'm teasing. But he might have been getting whooped too much. I don't know, but I'm teasing. He just said, I want to talk about the Bible. And I said, I want to talk about more kills. Let me keep playing. And I said, brother, after we play, I'll talk to you about the Bible. We started the Bible study. 
And then from there, after we had the Bible study, we started the church. And it was because of that man's first question. He had questions about the end times. And he walked in while I'm telling you this testimony. God is up to something. God is up to something for that just to happen right there because I believe this is a message of faith. Take it as how you want, but that's a sign to me. So going back to the story that he's familiar with, and so is Jessica over there, I asked the Lord, I need a meeting place. It's great to have a home Bible study in your home, in your, in your two-bedroom apartment, but you need a place to meet. So I'm walking as I tend to always do, pray or walk. Does anybody walk and think? Does anybody walker and thinkers in this place? I just do it all the time. That's why even now I got to walk, even though I'm hobbling right here. I'm a wounded warrior for Jesus here, brother. You know, I'm just hobbling. I'm walking, but I'm going around my neighborhood, and I see a church building because I'm already asking the Lord. Somebody say he's asking. I'm asking the Lord for a place to meet, and I'm walking by that building that I see every time. I mean, how many you know? Neighborhood churches everywhere, right? This the brick church, you know, the steeple and all that. I mean, it's it, you just get so used to seeing them. And the Lord just says to me, "That's the place." I said, "Lord, I don't know anybody there. I don't know anything about this ministry." Come to find out, they were a homosexual Methodist church, you know, affirming homosexuality. But I'm glad I didn't know all that at the beginning. I just knew God told me to have it. Amen. Sometimes you don't need to think about how big your problem is. Just think about how, good, how big God is. That's why the Bible says the kingdom of God belongs to children. Children here, their parents say, we're going to Disney World. They believe it, amen. They don't understand all the things you had to do to get there. We're planning that trip right now to go there by God's grace in January. Pray for us. That can survive, amen. Bringing all six of my kids out there, saving up every penny because you know it's not cheap. And, and, and they just know, okay, we're going there. That's it. But how many know dad's behind the scenes putting this thing together? We already asked a friend who does all the booking, and they said 4000 to spend the night to get two park tickets, and we're like, whoa, hold up now. I got faith, but I don't know about that much. Have, to, have tea here. So we're working it through. We're looking at different options and things. But everybody, listen. I go, okay, God, what do I do? God, as my witness, many of you have heard this story a hundred times, but it's good to repeat here. God says, walk in right now and ask them for the building. I'm on my walk, man. I don't look. I mean, this is 2005. We, there were casual pastors, but not like it was uh, like it is today. So I'm going to come in there, not only not in business casual, I'm going to come in there with, I think, my jogging shorts on, some raggedy shirt, man. I got shirts that are older than my kids. Anybody can relate to that? I do, man. I've got shirts that are older than my kids. So that's how I am. And God's like, Just go on in. I go on in. Long story short, I talk to them. And they say, well, we, we normally get about 500 a month. I said, I don't have that. I said, I just started the church a few weeks ago. I said, but here's, here's what I can do. I'll just give you half of whatever I bring in until we get to the 500. They said, okay, that could work. And they said, and you know what? It just happens to be we're meeting with our trustees tonight. I'll let you know. And then she called me up that night. She said, you got the building. Come get the keys. And I didn't even give a dollar for it. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> I come in the next day. They're handing me the keys. And this brother with Jessica's Salvador, we were in their cafe. You remember that? Just those few chairs right there. I played the guitar, and that's how the church started. The first month was the only month that we didn't make the 500. The first month, I said, I, I think I came to him. I go, well, we brought in about $400, you know. And then I said, here's my half of that, two, 200 and some dollars. And then the, after that, we started giving 500 a month. And you know, God blessed us in that place. Somebody say, you have not because you ask not. That doesn't just work for me. That works for you. And it doesn't just work for me when I'm a young man needing a building. Today, that can work for us to believe God for the biggest building. But what happens if the biggest building doesn't come? What happens if we get discouraged? Well, we just keep asking. We don't stop doing what God commanded us to do. When I was being holy in my singleness for 10 years, I didn't stop being holy when my girlfriend cheated on me. So does everybody get that? 
See, sometimes people, and you may be in this church right now, you put these ultimatums to God with your faith. Well, God, I'll believe and I'll ask as long as you do it like this, because if you don't do it like this, then I'm done believing and I'm done asking. And the Bible says don't do it like that. So I'm, I'm single for one year. I'm single for another year. And then I have a girlfriend after about four or five years of being single, and then she cheats on me. I don't say, well, forget this. I'm just going to live like the world now. I just keep trusting God, trusting God. And what, 10 years later, I meet my wife. And now we're married for almost 20 years, double almost when I was single. How many know it's worth it? You trust the Lord. So what do I do? You push. You pray until something happens. I'm going to say that again. You push. You pray until something happens. This is what we can do. We can keep knocking on the door of heaven asking God for miracles and blessings. What do you lose except your hot Cheeto breath? Come on. I mean, just take a few seconds right now and ask God for the biggest thing you possibly can. God, I ask for 100,000 people in the church with 100 million. Do it right now. Do it. 30 seconds, 20 seconds. Right now, get it out. Get out your hot coffee breath right now. Come on, ask God. Open your mouth. Breathe it out. What did you lose? You didn't lose nothing. But what can you gain? You can gain everything that you had just spoken. If it's according to the will of God, ask with the right motives. You've given enough of your Cheeto breath, your, your Taki breath, to Beyonce songs. You've given enough of your Cheeto breath to your job. How many times have you said the same thing on your job? How many of you have a job where you got repetitive things? My brother, yeah, you're a flight attendant. I mean, you've probably said the same thing about the seatbelt a hundred million times. But that's his job. That's, our job as Christians is to ask the Lord for the blessings and cease not, amen, to never stop. That's our job as Christians. Welcome to the Holy Ghost airline. We're going to buckle up in the things of God. We're going to, you know, go up here. If something happens, we're going to do this. I'm going to speak the word of God over my life. I mean, that's why you have it here on a banner, 100,000, 50 churches, 500. Well, what if it doesn't come to pass? Well, I taught you one lesson how not to give up then. Because somebody's going to see 100,000. Amen? It might be my second generation, my third generation. It might be your children. I mean, but somebody's going to see you. The assemblies of God didn't start off where they are now. They almost have 100 million people in the assemblies of God. Assemblies of God has almost 120 years behind it. Metro Praise is just getting right around 20 years. Give us another 100 years, we'll give the assemblies a run for their money. Amen? I mean, come on. And it's not like we're going to take their people. There's enough people out there to still get. How many know that? Church of God, Church of God in Christ. This is a movement that's based on the Lord. That's what I hear the Lord tell me to encourage me. I want him to encourage you today to keep asking, to keep seeking. Let's go back to that slide, please. So James says it like this, you have not because you ask not. There was a man once that preached a message just like this, and he said to everybody, just almost identical to what I just said to you, to ask God for something big. Just take a few seconds to do it. And I saw somebody just sitting there like, come on now, man. I literally just told you you need to ask, and you have not because you ask not. I give you time in church to do it, and then you still look at me with your sassy lips closed. And I'm like, what do you think we're doing here? I'm teaching you to learn how to ask God for things. I'm teaching you how to do that. I'm not going to be with you tomorrow if you go on that job that you don't like. I'm trying to help you get out of that job. Can I hear an amen? Come on, I used to live in the South, and uh, here's something about the South. They're nice and sweet in service, but they are sure slow. And, and I'm just being honest with you. This is one of the things you will notice, especially in New Orleans. They are just slow. You ain't going to the restaurant and getting served fast. They're going to take their sweet time. And if you ask mama to move faster, you're going to be there longer. You, you tell her you need to speed up. Oh, that just gives her more excuse to walk a half step slower. 
Now, this, this may not be your part of the South, but this is how, you know, I saw it. And, and so there's this one time, this man I was watching at, I think it was like Baskin Robbins, and he was getting served. And this, this server was just so sassy, man. You could tell she didn't like her job and all of this. And then this is what he said to him. He said, I'm sorry your life sucks. I'm sorry you don't like this job, but I'm a customer. I'm happy to be here. Can you please be happy to serve me? And then she argued with him even more. And then this is what he said, and I'll never forget it, because sometimes the best life lessons come just when you least expect it. He said, and you're going to wonder why I'm blessed doing all that I do, and you're going to still be working here 10 years from now. You're going to wonder why. See, because she didn't appreciate her job. She didn't appreciate where she was at. Another story very similar to this, I was walking through the mall, and I, I met a young lady, and they were selling those vacation packages. I don't know if anybody's ever seen those, but they're, 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 they're pretty uh, aggressive in their sales approach. She hopped right in front of me, said, hey, hey, you want to take a vacation to Wisconsin? Hey, do you, you got a big family here? And so, man, I stopped. I was like, yeah, I want to take a vacation to Wisconsin. I'd love to do that. Talk to me about that. You know, I had some time. And so she's going on about it, and I just stopped her right in the middle of it. And I said, hold up, I can, I can probably tell you right now, this is not going to work, but you are awesome at what you do. I said, you have got my attention. You got me to stop. I understand clearly everything you have said. I said, man, I, you are great at this. How long have you been doing this? She said, oh, to be honest with you, I just started. This is my first week. And I said to her, I said, oh, I can tell you right now, you're going to be one of the best salespeople here. I, I told her that. I said, I can tell right now because I meet people all the time. You know, I'm always doing Comcast upgrades. They're trying to call me up. You know, you meet salespeople. You've been around in life. You know what I'm talking about. I said, I can tell right now you're going to be great. I said, I'm sorry I'm not the right customer for you, but just keep on keeping on, young lady, because I think you're going to do great things here. Well, a few months later, because they're parked right in front of where my wife gets her jewelry cleaned, and so we come back there, and I say to her, I see her over there, and I say, hey, how you doing? Remember me? And she ran up, smiling as big as possible. She said, oh, yes, I remember you. I met you my first week. You told me that I would be great at this job. She said, out of all the kiosks, I'm the number one sales person, not in just this mall, but all of our kiosks around the city. I just hit the record for that month. You see, I don't know if she knew the gospel yet. I wish I had more time to preach to her. And, I, and I, I'm telling you this out of my heart for you, that you don't know what you don't know about your future. You just need to stay positive and to focus on what you have right in front of you. You give up too easy. Oftentimes we get frustrated too easy. We don't think that we can be great at what we're called to do by God because we see others may be better than us at it. You're not, you're not going to be great at what you just first start out at until you first get into it and learn your ways. Have some bumps along the road. And then you're going to get better and better and better. Can I hear somebody say increase? increase. The Bible says, thank you, that uh, we have not because we ask not. Somebody's got to believe to be the best salesman. Somebody's got to believe to make the most sales. I'm not trying to be your corporate uh, motivational speaker, but I'll help your corporation out today a little bit. Somebody's got to believe to be the master sergeant. I mean, brother, what, what rank did you get to? Because I know you're a chaplain now, right? Do they still do ranks as chaplains? Okay, so what rank are you at now? He is a lieutenant. Let's give it up for my brother right here. And how many positions of sergeant did you have to go through? Because I know you went to sergeant. There was like three levels, four levels. Master sergeant, different kind Five levels of a sergeant. Come on, somebody. Come on. And I knew you as a what? Were you a private, a corporate? What did I know you as in 2005? Private. See, you have not because you ask not. You look at people on the job, I'm telling you, they may not even be Christians, but they will outwork you, they will outperform you, and then you're going to blame it on the devil. Don't blame it on the devil. You didn't want to put in time like them. You didn't want to put in work like them. 
And then somebody might be like, well, I don't want to be in the military. Well, then find your thing. What is your thing? Ask God to bless you with your thing. Because all of us here have a thing. Whether it's working at the corporation, whether it's starting your own job, whether it's for your homeschooling, whether it's you're a teacher and you want your students to get the highest grades every year. How many believe teachers need to set some goals for their students? Come on. I mean, it doesn't matter where you're at. If you don't have it, more than likely you're not asking God for it. And the world will take it from us. And they'll waste their resources. Think about all of these leaders in these companies that either are homosexual, affirm homosexuality. You see it around Gay Pride Month, rainbows everywhere. But how many know we love rainbows? But for the other reason, judgment, that God brings about redemption after judgment. And so, brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged. Ask God. Now, here's the next thing, is that most of us are not asking God because we really don't believe. Go to Matthew 21, verse 21. This is an old school faith message. I'm, I humble, it's encouraging you as it's encouraging me because Jesus taught us this, that you, you can look at a mountain and tell it to go. How many have heard me give the illustration of this with a video game? Okay, nobody. One of you? Okay. Well, two of you? Okay, I'm going to give it again then because 99% of you have not remembered or heard this. Listen to what Jesus said, and I'm going to explain this to you in a way that I think everybody's going to walk away going, I get it. Okay? Jesus replied, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what is done to this fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, somebody say, if you believe. Thank you. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And he pointed to the biggest thing in their world at that time, which was a mountain. To this day, we still cannot move mountains, okay? The greatest that we have in technology is to be able to go through mountains, to put tunnels in mountains, but we cannot move them. There has never been a mountain moved. We have made some miniature hills out of our uh, moving and excavation of dirt and materials, but we have never moved a mountain except in CGI. Has anybody ever seen how they make movies and video games? They can move mountains just by clip, paste, clip, paste. How many have ever seen something like that? I bet you if I gave my brother 30 seconds right now, he could go to a draw program download the clip art of a mountain and copy and paste mountains all over there. How many know what I'm talking about? And then he could move the mountain wherever he wants. How many are following with me? And then at any point he could delete it. Now people mock us and say that God can't do that. But all I have to do is just back that, uh, that sassiness up a little bit. Where do mountains come from? Oh, well, mountains come from the molecules and all of this, this, and that. Okay, where do molecules come from? Well, molecules came from this big explosion, the big bang. And then what do we say? Who banged it and what banged? So if everything is God's matrix, in other words, if anybody's ever seen matrix before, or if everything is God's CGI, what is a mountain to him? When my brother moves the mountain of the clip art, does he start breaking a sweat? moving the mouse? Does he start getting nervous? Oh, it's going to drop. It's going to drop like a crane or something. No, when he's moving that clip art of that mountain, he just moves his little mouse. Why? Because he's in a different dimension than that mountain. That's a two-dimensional object, isn't it, when it's in the picture, right? And he's a three-dimensional being. And a three-dimensional being over a two-dimensional world is nothing, you should do that one day, just make a mountain and just move it all around and go, I'm a three-dimensional being with this two-dimensional, I can do it, whatever. Well, hello, somebody. What do you think our three-dimensional mountains are to our multi-dimensional God? 
God will just pick it up and move it whenever he wants to. You might say, well, that doesn't really sound, it is, it is right. Well, that doesn't sound scientific. It is scientific, I'm telling you. The greatest minds of science are now feeling out their way through the Christian philosophy. Even right now, Michu Akaku, the, the, one of the founders of string theory, is saying God is a mathematician because there's too much math out there for it not to be done by a divine being. Are you listening to me? They're now finding out with string theory and the, the, the fabric of the universe is all programmed by someone that must be in a different dimension and they're already positing these different dimensions. But guess what? Whenever you get to that, def, that different dimension, guess who's going to be there? Jesus! <laughs> He's going to be right there. Hey, boys, I'm right over here. And, and, and this is what the old timers used to say. The mathematician and the scientist will be climbing up that mountain of knowledge until one day they'll, meet, they'll, meet, uh, they'll go to the peak and then they'll meet Jesus. Hey, guys, I've been up here for a while. What took you so long? Are you guys listening? Oh, we have to do this and we have to do this and we have to do this. And Jesus is up there having communion with the boys. Oh, great, now you've come to heavenly realms. Now you understand where this came from. See, the Bible says that if we have faith, we can talk to mountains. So what mountain are you facing today, brother or sister? I'm facing a mountain right now of a city that doesn't want to serve God like how God told me to teach him. So I'm believing for 100,000, but I don't see 100,000 yet. I haven't even seen 1,000 yet. That's a pretty big mountain, isn't it? I mean, that could discourage anybody. Pastor, here you are, uh, you know, because he remembers day one. Did I not talk about this 100,000? It's been there since day one. And somebody can just mock me and make fun of me and say, well, man, look at you, Joe. You've been doing it all these years. And, man, you don't even have 1,000 yet. You only have a few hundred. What's wrong with you? But I say, you don't know my God because my God's time is not your time. And you can mock me just like they mock the people, uh, like the people mocked Noah when he was building that ark. But let me tell you, son, the ark is being built right in front of you in the name of Jesus. And here's one thing I can tell you is we have more now in more places than we've ever had before. And we'll keep growing and keep growing and showing the glory of God. Amen? Let's go quickly back to that slide. Look at what it says. You ask not because you, be, you have not because you ask not. You ask not because you believe not. And then this last one, you believe not because you what? No, not. Go to John chapter 8. Where do most people struggle here in this area? It's just knowing God's promises are made to them. If you don't believe that God's promise of purity is made to you, you'll fall for perversion. If you don't know that God's promise of prosperity is blessed to you, you'll fall in the, the area of greed. If you don't know that God's blessing of friendship and of companionship and fellowship is yours, then you'll stay in loneliness. You have to know the promises of God to be able to believe the promises of God. Look at what Jesus said to him in John 8, 31. To the Jews who had believed, he said, if you hold to my teachings, then you are really my disciples. Then you will what? Come on, then you will what? Know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. I did not know, and I'm being 100% honest with you, I did not know when I first became a Christian that I could ask God to bless me in my finances. I was even raised in church, and I didn't know that. You might say, well, that's just kind of obvious. You just kind of ask God for stuff. I didn't really think of it that way. Here's the way I thought about it as just a new Christian, that I go out there and work, I do everything that I can do, and then whatever I have, I just always bring to God and say, here it is. I did not understand that it was part of my responsibility to ask God to bless me on the job. 
I didn't know that it was part of my responsibility to know how to serve my boss as a Christian to earn their favor because Christians should have an advantage with their morality and their work ethic. I didn't understand that I was supposed to have a heart that as I give, I knew how to give tithe and offering because my dad and parents taught me that from when I was young, but I didn't know that when I gave that tithe and offering that I should put on that my prayers and my offering with seed so that I could actually expect a harvest. Not giving to get, but giving with a joyful heart knowing that I'm in partnership with God. Can I hear an amen? There's no farmer who sows a seed that does not expect a harvest. There is no farmer out there today that is just throwing out seed willy-nilly and not caring about it. There is no builder today building homes or bridges or buildings that doesn't have a plan to see that thing finished. And so what I began to understand and know, this is just between you and I, is that as I began to believe God for that which I didn't have in my hand, as I began to let go of what was in my hand and believe God for what was in his hand, that there would be an exchange. There would be a blessing in my life that I could look at and say, wow, that's a blessing. Come on, somebody say a blessing. Now, now sometimes we, we call everything a blessing, and that's true because we don't want to be greedy or ungrateful. The air in my lungs is a blessing. Every molecule functioning today, blessings. Can I hear an amen to that? But I'm talking about these kinds of divine favors of the Lord where God just shows up and just kind of taps you on the shoulder and said, hey, I got you Starbucks today. And I was just thinking about you. You know, I just want you to have this. How many know what I'm talking about now? So if, if just calling it a blessing throws you off because life is a blessing, let's, let's call it the special blessing. But just track with me here. I'm now working in the inner city of New Orleans. I'm a young pastor. I only have a few thousand dollars coming in, and the denomination that I'm with is saying, you need to raise about triple to quadruple that to do ministry. And I said, no, this is enough. I'll sleep in the building. I'll live in the hood. I'll do whatever I got to do. You guys have given me more than enough. But the Lord wanted me to fundraise, and I was going to do that later on. But this was just right at the beginning. And I felt the Lord say to me, I want you to give abundantly to everybody in the community as much as you can. So whenever you do stuff, I don't want you to charge anything. That's where it started. I want you to give it away, and I want you just to be known as a blessing in the community. So when it was time to do Christmas, we gave away all the Christmas gifts. When it was time to go into the neighborhood, we would give our groceries. And how many know I had to eat a little bit myself? I'm telling you the truth. I had to ask them. I had to ask because they don't really want you eating the food that you're giving away. But I had to ask them. I said, hey, if I'm in a situation where I actually need some of these groceries that I'm giving out. Can I have some of them? They said, yes, we'll let you do that. We don't think you're going to be uh, trying to get around the system. And then I had friends and family from around the country sending me groceries back then in, in grocery boxes, like helping me out. But I started to realize that if I just gave to the community, called on the Lord and knew his blessings were for me, that he would start to show up because I started to see things happen that weren't according to the natural order. So in other words, there was one time I was flying a plane. and I, I wasn't flying it, but I was in the plane being flown. You know what I'm talking about. I want to fly a plane one day. That's a goal. Um, and let me just tell you about this real quick about somebody else. A man said that same thing. He was a minister, and he's planting churches just like us. We got one in Dallas, and right now we're trying to do one in Miami. And he said, I want a plane, Jesus, and I want you to give it to me and help me to be able to pay for it. I don't want to be one of those, you know, those 
those uh, pastors that have to, you know, fleece the sheep and always be about money. I just want it to be a blessing. The Lord ended up blessing him with one of those small uh, Cessna planes. His son became a pilot, and they fly around the country in that plane preaching the gospel. How many aren't hating but celebrating today? Because that man believed God would give him a plane. Come on, somebody. God gave him a plane, and he flies it around with his son being the pilot. So, you, you know, come on. God will do it. So I'm there in the plane, and I just, you know, get to know the person next to me. Come to find out this young man's son is not serving Jesus. He's a Christian, but his son is not serving Jesus. So I go, okay, well, let's talk about that a little bit. What's his name? Well, he said his name, and I don't remember anymore. And I said, well, let's just pray for him. I think we prayed for him right there. And, you know, we just began to talk a little bit more. And he began to get interested in my life. He said, I think my son's even your age, you know. What are you doing? I said, well, I got a ministry that I'm leading up in New Orleans. I'm taking care of a lot of different neighborhoods. I'm going out, giving out groceries and all that. And he's just sitting back just listening to me. And then the conversation basically ends. And uh, just right at the end, he says to me, hey, man, you got any information on you about what you do? And I said, sure, here it is. And I, you know, just gave him a little card about what I had. A few weeks later, I received a check in the mail for about two or $3,000. I received checks like that upwards for the next year, year and a half, and I think it totaled almost $10,000, $15,000. You see, I just started to notice that God was putting his hand on my life as I was being obedient to ask the Lord. It wasn't like winning the lottery. It wasn't like one of those luck things. It was like one of those God things, if you hear what I'm talking about. And then there would be other opportunities where somebody would say, hey, man, someone's coming from out of town, and they want to go out to dinner with you because they've been hearing about what you've been doing. And then they would sow a seed. And then another brother came to me, and he was preaching in the church, and this one just really freaked me out. And... Uh, as he was preaching, I felt the Lord say to me, give him all basically what I had in my savings. Now listen, this is not betting on the horse. This is not trying to win the lottery. But I, you got to hear from Jesus. Somebody say, hear from Jesus. So he was preaching about this, something about faith and miracles and all of this. And, and God put it in my heart to give him the bulk of what we had in our savings account at that time. And I believe it was about $3,000. And at the end, I, you know, you're not supposed to do this, and I don't recommend it, but I was kind of new at this. And I, you know, I, as I'm blessing him with it, I'm kind of letting him know my story. And I'm like, hey, man, this is an offering the Lord told me to give you. I'm not really sure about this and all this. And while I'm acting fearful, he grabs my hand and the offering. And you know this, brother. This is Pastor Orlando back in New Orleans. Pastor Orlando, he's met some of the guys in New Orleans. He grabs my hand. And he says, the Lord just told me right now, you're getting double for your trouble. What you have sowed into my ministry, you're going to reap double right now within the next 30 days. Now, how many have heard preachers talk like that then ask you to send in a thousand, uh, uh, you get a holy rag and stuff? So I'm being honest with you, man. I, don't, I'm, I am very skeptical of all that stuff. So I'm just sitting here going, okay, now, man, now you're just messing with me. I wish I didn't say anything. Within 30 days, I received a check of $10,000. Within 30 days, a check of $10,000. One more story. Can I tell you another one? This building right here was renovated by another church called City Lights, and the pastor at that time was Eddie Leon. We were in another location at that time. When he was starting this church, he was getting launched out from a denomination. I mean, uh, his, uh, not a denomination, but his, uh, his church. Things went a little bit wrong with him and his church, and he no longer had the rent money. I didn't know anything about this, but he had renovated and spent a lot of money to do it. We've kept it up to that same standard since he did it. I have a dream. Somebody say a dream. I have a dream where I give this man two rent checks. In that dream, Metro Praise gives City Lights two rent checks. How many know I woke up in cold sweats thinking that was the devil? 
Satanas, I rebuke you in el nombre Jesus. That is not the Lord. Sometimes we're slow to learn, even pastors. A couple days go by. Somebody say a couple days. I'm not even being obedient in the day of the 24 hours. And a couple days go by, and I'm sitting with my wife at Biagio's Italian restaurant. I can remember like it was yesterday. And I say to her, you're not going to believe what happened to me a few days ago. I had a dream. And she's like, well, tell me about it. And I'm like, and I gave Pastor Eddie two months' rent. She's like, well, you better do that. And I'm like, that's almost all that we got in the savings account. I think it was like 6000 or something. And, and, and she's like, you better do that. And I go, there's no way I'm doing that. I'm scared. I'm just being honest with you. I said, we need the money. And she says, oh, no, you need to do that. You need to be obedient to that. So thank God for good wives. Amen. So there at Biagio's. It was a Friday night. We were on a date night. Almost tears in my eyes right now remembering this. I call up Eddie, and I say, brother, man, what's going on? He said, man, we're in a prayer meeting right now. I said, what are you guys praying about? God is my witness. He said, man, we're praying for the bills to be paid because we need it or we got to get out of this building. I said, God told me to give you one month's rent. I'm being, I'm being 100% honest with you. I'm being 100% honest with you. Pray for me. A couple days later, I gave him the other half. I was so disobedient. Then I lost my grandfather, who had an amazing inheritance, gave it to my mom. She then kicked us down some. I think we ended up receiving 20000 30000 that week. But God was fighting a fight with me. I was struggling. I mean, once it gets to about three or four zeros after, come on, somebody. When was the last time you gave a $1,000 plus offer? When was the last time you gave 6000 Come on, somebody. But I'm hearing God speak to me now. Come on, the next one's probably going to be in the six figures. Give 100000 to this mission group. When we go to the Philippines, I'm not going to be surprised if God says, so into uh, Ray and uh, the Aaron, uh, into this missionary group here. Give them 100000 but, 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 that's my savings. That's this, that, but, but, no, I want you to sow it. If you want a few seeds, if you want a few plants, you sow a few seeds. If you want a big harvest, you got to sow many seeds. The Bible says you reap according to what you sow. We're not taking up enough for offering today, but please put back up that slide quickly in closing as uh, the person comes back to the keys. You have not because you ask not. You ask not because you believe not, and you believe not because you know not. This one preacher, as I was going to tell that story before, but got redirected, he did almost exactly what I did and said, let's pray and believe God for amazing things. And at the altar call, he noticed some people just, you know, just sitting up there chilling. And he went over to the gentleman and he said, hey, what are you asking God for? Give him the microphone. And the guy said, well, nothing really in particular. And then he said back to him, well, then that's what you'll receive. Nothing in particular. you got to ask if you want to receive. You've got to believe what you're asking for. And you've got to know that God's a good father. That every good and perfect gift comes from our father, the heaven, heavenly father of lights, as the Bible says. Amen. I'm reminded of the story of one of my mentors, Brother Anthony who was so poor, he said, while he was starting his church, that he didn't have money for groceries anymore. And he said that God called him to go preach at a church that was a few miles away. And he was so disheartened as he was getting his suit on and getting ready to go that he would be leaving his family without any food because I guess it was a weekend trip. But he was obedient. And he said to me, God is a witness. 
He said, when I went to put in my foot in my, one of my shoes, I saw a $50 bill in there. He said, Joe, I have never lied to you. I'm telling you, I had a $50 bill in there, and I wore those shoes the day before. He took out that $50, and he handed it to his wife, and he said, go get some groceries, and he went out and preached. I've grown up hearing stories like that from the missionaries, from the preachers. I think sometimes they may be right when they think about the developing world. Maybe we aren't as desperate as they are. That's why maybe they're seeing so many miracles. But I'm here today to tell you, you don't have to be on the edge of poverty. You don't have to be on the edge of an empty uh, cupboard to see a miracle. You don't have to be in that level of pity and desperation. All you have to do is believe. And God is not just wanting to bless those who are poor just so that they have that next meal. He's wanting to bless us so that we can continue to increase and be blessed to other, a blessing to others. Don't cut yourself off from the blessing by your excuses, by your, uh, your, your troubles before you. I was talking to the team the other day, and I was saying to them, we need a librarian for the Bible college that we're starting because of old accreditation standards. I mean, who even thinks about going to be a librarian anymore, you know? But to get accredited with the U.S. Board of Education because we're not doing a Bible Institute. We already have Bible classes, Bible Institute. We are doing a fully accredited Bachelor's of Arts degree in Biblical Studies in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm talking that you can get a GI Bill for You can get grants and loans. I'm talking it'll be free, but, you know, it's approved by the government. Well, one of the standards is you need a librarian with a master's degree. And I start thinking to myself, where do you find one of those? I have no idea. So now we're looking around and we're saying, Lauren, do you want to be a librarian? My wife, Nancy, you want to be one? Because that's what we're going to have to do at some point if we don't see one come to pass. And then this is what God began to speak to me. He began to speak to me, and I got the list fresh here from Lauren. As he began to speak to me, what is more impossible, getting a librarian or 30 students to join a Bible college that's only a few years old, that don't even know us from anybody, no denomination? And so I started looking at this list of these 30 students, the biggest class that we've ever had right now being sustained, and I started having faith rise up in me, okay? God, if you could bring these wonderful people from around the country and in our church to say, I'll commit to this, a librarian's nothing. You could bring me 30 librarians if you have to. God just began to say, why do you doubt when the next level comes? I mean, I don't know about you, but it's not always the easiest thing. But what we have to do is trust and believe. And here's just where it starts. It just starts at the bottom and working your way up. Do you know that God is good? Do you know that he's going to prosper you? Do you know that he has a plan? Like the old timers used to say, do you believe he's brought you this far to take you to the other side? Because he hasn't brought you this far to let you drown now. God does not get glory out of Peter drowning out in the ocean. Amen? Well, you tried, Peter. Goodbye. I'll see you in heaven. No, it's all right, Peter. I get it. I get it. You saw the waves. I get it. You saw the librarian qualification. That threw you off. Okay, I get it. I, you, you saw what it would take for you to go back to school to get the ability to apply for that job. Okay, I see that you're stumbling a little bit here. I, I, I get, you know, God looks at us with compassion, but what does he say? Get back up. Keep walking. That's how we walk on water with Jesus, even if we stumble. So number one, do you know it? And I think if you know it, you'll write it down. Start writing down your promises. We're putting it up here every day for you when you come here so that you can see it. Write down yours. 
and believe it. Somebody say believe it. Some of you know last year around this time, the Lord spoke to me during COVID and said, Joe, I want you to learn the stock market so you can become uncancelable. So that if all of us have to go live on a commune somewhere and raise our own food and slaughter our own cows because they're telling if we don't get a jab, we can't work for them, that you'll have finances. So the Lord told me to invest into the stock market. And at that time, there was so much uh, what they would call meme stocks going on, so much just bet on GameStop, bet on AMC. I had friends putting life savings into that. Some of them doubled their money. Some of them lost their money. And so I got caught up in some of that at the beginning of uh, uh, the end of last year, at the beginning of this year when it was all waning away. And God said, no, 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 that's not how I want you to do it. And even you, my brother, prayed for me. And you said, Lord, I want you to... You, you said, Lord, I want you to give him the stocks that he should be in and where he should be. You remember when you prayed that for me? Well, the Lord led me to futures. This is my story. Somebody say it's his story. This may not be yours. It's my story. I've invested in Tesla and Bitcoin. I've made money when they were small. But this was not going to be what God told me to do, David. And David has been a financial planner as well. And this is risky business. This is the exact thing he says don't do. Do it his way. Put it in a safe place. What the, the, the normal way of thinking is don't jump on the bandwagon and lose everything because people are losing life savings that way. But God told me to learn how to trade futures. And trading futures is not like investing in Tesla, hoping it goes up. When I go to the screen, I'm looking at one stock. I look at the NASDAQ, top 100 technological companies. And when I look there, it is a zero-sum game. People are losing and winning. If you put money in and it goes up $1, that means somebody lost a dollar. Are you listening to me? And if you lost a dollar, somebody made a dollar. Futures are a zero-sum game. And over this year, Brother David, it's kind of shudders me to tell you this, I lost $20,000. If you would have talked to me in October, I probably would have been weeping to you going, I'm the idiot. I'm the one who didn't listen to financial planners. I thought I could learn this skill. Uh, many financial planners believe it's impossible to time the market. You're just betting and gambling when you go in there because it's a fast-moving market. Dollars are worth $50. One point's worth $20. You know, it moves quickly. Thousands of dollars are made on one candle, if you know what I'm talking about, one-minute candles. My wife's freaking out. You know, it's almost like, do I have an addiction? Am I gambling? What in the world is going on? Are you listening to me? Somebody say, I hear you. Come on, I'm not going to gamble away your church money. Don't get scared on me now, okay? Is he gambling with the church money? Does he have a gambling problem? Somebody say, but God. So I talked to my wife, and I said to her, don't give up on me. I've made mistakes. I should, have, I should have learned a lot slower, but don't give up on me. It's coming. Next time. How many have heard that enough with the Cubs? Next year, next time. Oh, sure, next time. They only spend 100 this month. You know, No, I need to do this, but next time, okay. From October, this is what I'm up right now. Will you read that number nice and loud, please? $43,669.64. Are you good at math? If I've lost 20000 how much am I up right now from 43000 If I had to, if I, well, I lost 20. I lost 20. So now I have 43. How much do I have in the bank? 23. Uh, no, no, I'm up 40. I, I lost 20. So what, what do I have? 23. Not too bad. How many would like $23,000 in December right now? How many know what I'm talking about? 
Thank you, Jesus. And you might say, well, that just means you went in there one day and bet. No, no, no. I've had since October a 16-day winning streak of trade days upwards of five to eight to one day, almost $10,000, 16 days in a row. You don't hit the lottery that many times. What was my problem? My problem was is that I was afraid every time my winners began to go in my direction. Losers I would hang on to and say, oh, it's going to come back. It's going to come back. So my losers would just wipe me out. I would be up a few, few thousand on the day, but then it would go against me, and I would say, oh, I don't want to lose a thousand now. So let's say I was up two thousand. I go, I don't want to lose a thousand. And I was up two thousand. And I would keep holding my loser until now I'm losing more than two thousand. And then I'm cutting my losses at three thousand loss. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I should have just got out when I was up the thousand after it came down. Anybody listening to this crazy preacher? I, I'm talking about your world now. I'm talking about places where nobody cares if I'm a preacher. I'm talking about when I put a dollar in, they want to take it from me. They don't want me to win. Are you listening? Every person who puts that money in there wants to win and the other guy to lose. I'm sorry. That's how it works in that world. So I began to hear the Lord tell me, be patient. And a guy I was learning from spells patience, P-A-Y, P-A-Y-T-I-E-N-C-E, patience. And so when I would get my little winners, get out, get out, you're up $100. Get out, get out, get out. And the Lord said, stop doing that because your winners are only 100 but your losers are thousands. And so the Lord just said, patience, trade. Okay, I'm up 500 Okay, chill out, chill out, up 1000 Okay, 2000 Like I said, I've watched a trade go in my favor up to $10,000. And I'm just sitting there going, that is a lot of money, man. It's bouncing up and down. But my strategy says you don't take it till it goes right there. Until it goes right there, you don't touch it. You watch that thing jump up and down. And I'm watching like weekly budgets just go up and down, up and down. I'm like, ah! But you got to believe in what you're there to do. And the world is out there believing, friends. And they're making the millions of dollars. And they're building the businesses. And put up that Amazon picture for me, please. And they're going into their garages. I just want to know, is there anybody here that wants to start with a belief of faith that God has given them and say, I believe it, I receive it. I'll spray paint a sign on my wall if I have to. Woo! Come on, somebody. And then the last thing is you just got to ask for it. Just ask. God, I ask today you'll bless me as I trade these stocks. Lord, I bless. God, I ask that you'll bless me as I go to my job. Put that uh, slide up, please. I ask you that you'll bless me as I teach my kids. I ask that you'll bless me as I go to this uh, sales pitch with the right words to say, God. I don't want to manipulate. I believe it's the best thing for them is to get from my company, for me to do their roof, for me to, to be the one who paves their their uh, parking lot. And you just ask the Lord and then you trust Him. As the old timers also used to say, you do all that you can do and trust God with the rest. But that's what it looks like, the life of faith. And every day may not be a miracle. I want to prepare you for that. And some of you may have to start that journey that I was just, I'm just coming out of, of 10 months of just losing and losing and losing. And you're wondering, do my prayers even matter? 
There was one trade. I'm just going to say this in close. There was one trade. This was a miracle in this. And, and, and you, do, you know, I'm not trying to say get lucky or anything. But I had traded. I had made about $1,500. It was a good day. $1,500. Good for a few hours. I only trade from about 830 to 10. Are you listening to me? And, uh, and I don't do classes, so don't ask me about that yet. By God's grace, I'm going to tell you about that later. But I will be outside of the church. But I do trade live, okay, so I can look at my trades. But listen, I made about $1,500. And I said to my wife, I said, you know in my plan... I'm supposed to take this next trade. I'm supposed to take this. But, man, I just, I just was up a 1,000. It was a good day, and I was going to call it early, just psychologically take a break. So I'm supposed to go to simulation. I have it on the recording. You can see it on my recording. I go to simulation, but then I move the mouse down, and I put it right back to my live account. I didn't know that I did that. So that's why I never play. It's like a loaded gun. Don't even play with simulation unless you're willing to be in that trade. Don't point the gun unless you're willing to shoot. You never know if it's loaded. Are you listening to me? And so I'm just talking to her, Juan, and my wife's right here. Did this not happen, baby girl? I'm just talking to you. And I go, if let's just say what would happen, I just put in all my lots, my, my contracts. I can go up to 170. And I just hold down my button, and it goes up to about 120 of my lots. Now every dollar to me is times $2. So every dollar by 120 is worth whatever that's like two or three, $400. And the thing moves 10, 20 points a second. Are you listening to me? And all of a sudden I look over at the computer and I go, I'm in my live account right now. The internet then goes out. I am in my live account at the most amount of money I can possibly put in and the internet goes out. My whole life just changed in front of me. I, go, I have a plan B. I have to go to my phone and the Wi-Fi to my laptop. I'm clicking it in. I am in the trade, and I'm up $5,000. I click out of it, and I go, oh, dear God, what just happened? And this is what my wife said. What you were willing to do on sim, you were afraid to do in real. But you had trained to do the real to take the risk. You have to believe in yourself. Don't let this happen again. Take it. And brothers and sisters, how many times do we go, well, if I would have, man, I had that idea. If I would have did, if we would have done that, if I would have. Step out in faith and see what God does. I'm not promising you're going to hit a home run every time, but I can promise you God's going to be with you every time. And you will begin to see miracles begin to show up because God is a good God. He loves us. He looks at our life and wants to favor us. Sometimes we feel like we're trying to make him do something. He's trying to make us get blessed. Well, God, come over here. Come over. I, I beg you. I beg you to do this. And God said, I already want to do it. Just believe and ask and now trust me to do it. Amen. Would you give it up for Jesus as you stand up today? Praise God. Band and altars workers, would you come?